Now she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aisa. She's ready to go to the stars. This is the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. It's mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I Captain. And now, our host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of going out, finding strange new worlds, finding strange new people filled with all kinds of troubles and challenges, and finding out it's none of your blankety-blank business. Yeah. Bunch of guidelines, but not quite rules. Exactly. Rules are meant to be broken, or at least to... Bend until they scream. That's a horrend- that was a horrendously bad uh, Kirk invitation, too. <laughs> what was that, Kirk? <laughs> well, that's what you were doing. Yeah. <laughs> All uh, right. Uh, welcome to the TriTech Games podcast. Um, this week, we are talking about the Star Trek Prime Directive. Now, we don't really care about the Star Trek universe. Not really, because we're doing, you know, fringeworthy in TriTech Games. But... We uh, and a lot of times we've brought up in the past that IDET, the Interdimensional Exploration Teams, the IDA, the Interdimensional uh, uh, Agency, you know, they don't have a prime directive, as uh, we said. Okay, they do have some guidelines, as in um, they have to follow the UN um, rules for humane behavior and and treatment of, of indigenous pe- people and things like that. They're already part of the UN charter, but there's no thing like a prime directive as exists in Star Trek. So what we wanted to do was say, okay, let's look at that prime directive and ask ourselves, can it be applied to Fringeworthy? And if it did, what would what would it be like? Um, and if it can't be applied to Fringeworthy, why not? So the first thing I guess we need to do is we need to basically just give a clear description or uh, of what the Prime Directive is. And um, I will hand that off to Trap since he is running a Star Trek campaign uh, of some kind. Well, I, I have. I've since wrapped up the campaign, but I had to extensively use Memory Alpha which is the official Paramount-backed Star Trek wiki, and use that to look up at the Prime Directive excessively. Oh, oh no, it's was... um, uh, Josie's mom, Colleen, a.k.a. Goth Bunny, in the campaign played, well, basically a rules lawyer out of the group. She was the group's conscious, so I had to constantly, she and I had constantly discussed how the Prime Directive worked in the context of the campaign. Let me, and and it just, there are times that it's very clearly defined, and then there are other times where gray is the color du jour. It just, and of course, if you're a fan of Star Trek, you all know how many times it was bent and by who? I mean, John even brought that up pre-podcast here about who you know gets the blue ribbon for breaking Starfleet's prime directive. Right, but what is the prime directive? It is a rule of non-interference in pre-warp flight cultures. Basically, if the Federation, Starfleet in particular, comes upon a culture that has not yet achieved warp drive technology... They will not interact with it as to not prematurely affect the culture. To not interfere with its development. Yes, to not interfere. Thank you, Pixie. To not interfere with that culture's development. Um, because as we know, Zeprin Cochran, he piloted the Phoenix with a primitive warp engine. The Vulcans found him. First contact was made in 
2063 in the Star Trek universe. So that was sort of adopted later on. And I do, I, I don't remember the exact incident, but the Federation came up with the prime directive because of a massive faux pas on their part. And that's when they realized, okay, we need to set some guidelines to not have this happen again. There's actually on memory alpha, there is a, like a high level summary that was kind of stated. It, uh, sh- shall I? Yes, please, please. No identification of self or mission. No interference with the social development of said planet. No references to space, other worlds, or advanced civilizations. Basically, don't tell me you're from a, you're an alien from another planet. Right. Right. Oh, but no, there, was, we, there was a lot more than that. Yeah, but it's it's the high level. There are according to this, there are supposedly forty seven different sub uh, clauses to this, which you don't I only list like a handful. But yeah. Yeah, I, I liked what they had listed below that, which what you know the, the specific things that they were talking about, uh, you know, uh, and and we should say say those too, which is providing knowledge of other inhabited worlds, even if the individuals or governments in the society were already aware of such things. Providing knowledge of technologies or science. Uh, taking actions that, uh, to generally affect a society's overall development. Taking actions which support one faction within the society over another. Helping a society escape the negative consequences of its own actions. Helping a society escape a natural disaster known to the society, even if inaction would result in a society's extinction. Subverting or avoiding the application of a society's laws and interfering in the internal affairs of a society. So that's basically what it's, it's saying is, is that you, you're supposed to be like ghost through the world. You know, you're, you're, you're like a stranger. You could be a helping hand, but you never can be anything that has any uh well it's basically like we talked about earlier about time travel okay you're allowed to go back and you know if you you could do time travel if you don't actually change anything because if you change anything then probably the future has changed and that means that you probably didn't create a time machine go back in time so Um, this is kind of the same idea without that you know okay there is something that i mentioned about where they realized they came up with it Below what you just read, Bruce, under scope and interpretation on Memory Alpha's page on the Prime Directive, and I'm going to quote uh, Captain Jonathan Archer, sensing the need for the Prime Directive in 2151. Now, this would be from the Enterprise series in the episode Dear Doctor, and I quote, Someday my people are going to have to come up with some sort of a doctrine, something that tells us what we can and can't do out here, should and shouldn't do. But until somebody tells me that they've drafted that directive, I'm going to have to remind myself every day that we didn't come out here to play God. Of course, that attitude means most GMs uh, 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 scenarios get shot in the head <laughs> to some extent. Yeah. You know. Oh, no, no. As I said, with this whole Star Trek campaign that I ran, Pixie's mother, Goth Bunny, was our group conscience. And her character, Commander Eve Marcel, was constantly just biting her lip, looking at the other cadets, just going, we shouldn't be doing this. The fact that we crash-landed on this medieval world, we're already causing a problem. And just most of this campaign ended up being damage control. Yes, actually, most of the campaign, pretty much from the second they landed, was damage control. Yeah, it's like, okay, we we can only do this much. Yeah. They, they, They come down... And I'm the hair. Yeah, well, you're the native. I, I gave you that role yeah. for that character. So you had to identify with, we had to sit there and discuss, how much are we going to let her in on this? And so, yeah, that was ma- massively discussed between you, me, your mom, right. Oz, Gina. Yeah, that and was all discussed. Oz's mom, and yeah, we had to discuss this. Initially, they did. They, they did keep to it initially. And after a while, there were just certain things. It's like, okay, we're going to have to tell okay, her about this, this, like, and this. And, and then there was most of these of things point. here that Bruce just read off, oh, we broke them in a spectacular fashion. 
does. No, it's like, no. Captain Kirk himself is proud of how we broke them. Yeah, you okay. you see Chris Pine just saluting us. Uh, you all have my respect, people. Yeah, right. I love how I love how every one of those entries also have at least two episodes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was surprised that some of them I thought were better choices for that, but you know, uh, they weren't listed there. But okay, so let's let's just you know. Uh, uh, do what we can to go and try to say, um, if, if, if IDET adopted the prime directive, okay, what would it be like to go explore a world? Okay. So I, I'm, I'm just going to totally forget about the reason that IDET exists and everything else. I'm just saying, let's just assume you have a group of people and they're about to go on, through a portal onto a world. Okay. So, and they're going to follow the prime directive. So it seems to me that the first thing is um, they uh, everybody is they're going to have to divest themselves of anything that is high tech because there's always a chance of it being discovered. Okay, unless you can totally, totally make it seem like something else. I think that one a depends on a where the portal or ring station is. Well, let's just assume it's it's got to be you're gonna have to go into contact with people sooner or later. Yeah, but but I'm saying, is the contact going to happen because you're stepping out in the middle of a temple, or is it going to take you, you can take your own sweet time making that contact because it's in a cave, you know, type thing. So okay, but I don't understand the the distinction you're trying to make. I get the distinction he's making. It's a matter of. Are they going to have time to do that? Are they going to have time to hide all of that before they end up coming into contact with people? Well, if they're going to hide it, why aren't, I mean, you, then they can't use it. Yeah, but also it gives them time to, if I have time to do it, I can at least, A, assess the level of technology in their, in their world. You know, this is where I will bring out the high-tech gizmos once I determine that we're safe in the other side of the, of the ring, and then I'll bring out of, of the warp or the portal, let's call it portal, portal, then I will scan for radio waves. I will scan for high band transmissions. I'll scan for, do a, do a, pull up the telescope and look for things in orbit. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to determine, okay, what's the level of technology on this world? What language am I speaking? You know, does it even match a language back on Earth, back on Earth Prime? Okay, fine, John. I wasn't trying to imply that, you know, th- 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 that you were divesting yourself of everything and therefore had to do all of your exploration without it. Yes. Okay. As- assuming that the portal isn't, in fact, sitting in the middle of, you know, the the the, uh, the great temple of Ra, you know, in the middle of, of, of a great city. Okay. Yes. You, you would be able to go and do these kinds of things. But when you started going full, but at a certain point, you'd say, all right, we want to go and interact with this world. And at that point, I'm saying is that I think you'd have to divest yourself of any of all your high technology. Mm, uh, depends. Uh, y- yes, and uh, you're right. I would not bring the Humvees. Go ahead. Uh, it, it would, after you've done the initial stuff you can do without interacting with them, it would depend on what you found out at that point. Yeah, let's say you're using, let's say you get out of the portal you establish a perimeter, and you start sneaking around, and you've got, like, binoculars and stuff, and you see that they have a certain type of fashion, they've got certain type of technology, and you get, as I said, you're doing this from afar to, like, the nearest settlement. Okay, well, if I'm seeing them all with, you know, tents that, you know, they can pack up and move, and there's sort of a Native American-esque culture... You're going to realize, okay, bringing a firearm is going to be a problem. A knife? Okay. It may be a polycarbonate knife, but they've got stone knives. Just say we have different ways of making our knives. There are some things you have some wiggle room in, but still, it's going to take, once you get through that portal, massive amounts of recon. And some of it you can do with technology if you are coming out into a relatively peopleless area. Remote. Remote, thank you. I'm thinking of ROVs. I mean, especially uh, drones, but, you know, drones that can glide. So you get them up, they get up up to altitude, and then they glide so that no one can hear them. But they can still use their night vision and look around. Uh, if they're high enough, 
Yeah. Okay. Again, that's your initial recon. How's that going to help you uh, later on? Because you're not going to be able to take around, uh, take along with you like video camera receivers because that could be found. No, no, no. Just to do the initial survey, so I I can get some very important information. Like, is, or if it's high enough up, or it has a proper kind of you know camouflage on, you know, painted like like a like an eagle or a high flying uh, raptor of some sort. I might be able to actually see what the people, how the people are dressed, knowing how people are, how they wear clothing and so forth. It helps me a whole lot. I won't stand like a, out like a sore thumb when I show up in my ID uniform. I'm well, getting what I'm, I'm smelling what John's cooking here with yeah, this. Yeah, it, it sounds like what he's saying is that the the higher stuff would be for just the initial recon. When you're actually ready to go more in depth, that's when you. Pack it all up pack, and leave it on the leave it on the platform. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. The only, th- the only thing you take with you is your cri- is the crystal key you might have. Right, crystal yeah. key you need to have. With well, you, yeah, actually. yeah. I guarantee you. That okay, that I don't care where you are in what society you're in. Okay, I mean, unless of course we're talking really weird, that if you go and do your recon in a loincloth. They might they'll, they'll think you're a peasant, they'll think you're poor, but they won't think that you're an alien from another world with high tech. Well, that's what I'm saying. If well, you yeah. do all your recon from afar, you do the recon from afar. Then you have you preparation to go to, in the loincloth. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. you know how you're supposed to look so you can blend in better. Yeah. One thing I said and I says in in the in our group was that necessarily people doing the recon may not necessarily be the people doing the the encounter. You know, basically, I would say this is actually these are skills a scout group, a scout team would have really down pat to, to do the initial recon. They find out what's going on, get the languages, get the layout of the land, maybe with a high high flying drone map the area so you have a you have a decent uh, map that can be either you know hand drawn onto a piece of height if necessary, you know, and then there you have the encounter team. The people are actually be going there. And saying hi, I'm from the village over the hill. Type situation. Yeah. Okay. The so you're basically yeah. you're basically creating two separate teams, and therefore the players are going to be playing two separate characters. Possibly, or maybe they're playing the encounter team, or they're playing just the encounter team. They're getting and they're being given the information, or I can justify in game a way for the players to simply say, okay. Give me a, give me a, give me some a couple of rolls to see how good the scout team was in getting their information, and now and now and now you can use this to, to to figure out how your character is going to interact with these people. You know, I can keep it with the players, but still have another. Just have some NPCs do the do the basic legwork, or maybe you're right. They can have a they can play two different character, two different teams, two different groups of characters. I mean, that's possible too. What I'm trying to get to is. Uh, it, you know, I stated the, the fact that if when you go out to explore the world, as in like most teams do, okay, I said you'd have to leave all of your high tech behind. Now nobody, ha- you're agreeing with me. Now, Trav, are is is are you going to disagree with me? Is there any high tech you think you can bring that would be even? Uh, 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 is there any high tech you think you could bring that's above the tech that the people are currently using? As I like I said just a little bit ago, let's say you carry a knife with you. You might be able to give a little bit of wiggle room and they they have like their, you know, their stone or obsidian knife and you pull out a polycarb knife. If these people are low tech, you can just say this is how we make knives. We're from far away. We have this, you know. Yeah. You would take this. It would take us some bluff rolls, but you know, you could do it. You take the stuff that you can easily explain. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, now, on the converse side, you find a Bronze Age society, they'll look down on you with that polycarbonate knife, because not knowing that it's, it's as, as sharp as their bronze, in fact, probably sharper than their bronze blades. Oh, yeah. But, you know, but yeah, there's that. Um, yeah, it also depends on how much support you get from back home for getting the necessary gear. I, I'm not, not assuming that everyone's going to be, no one's going to be carrying a complete Bronze Age, Iron Age, and all the various, yeah, you know, no one's doing that. But uh, that's you need a you need a semi truck for that. There are so many different ways of doing bronze weapons in the past 
that you would literally the Bronze Age weapon collection would fill a semi semi truck. I, I thought you were saying nobody would would be completely dressed and outfitted as someone in the Bronze Age. No, no, I'm, I'm saying that basically you may have to have the uh, the the, uh, the suitcase full of, of gear that at least you can look like you're dressed about right. So it has a peasant cloak. It has this, and then you have options. You can, you know, of course, heaven help you. You go someplace and everyone likes wearing bright colors with embroidered patterns. You're going to sort of stand out in your drab peasant brown, you know, at that point. So, uh, but then you can you can you try you can work with it and say, well, we're too poor to afford good clothing, you know. That's a plausible excuse, considering you wouldn't have. Or not. You're not you're technically not really. You're not really bluffing. You don't have the local currency to buy the clothing. Right. You're not really bluffing. Not really bluffing. Yeah. Bluffing yeah. In right. that Okay, so let's say we're talking about a, as you're putting it, a primitive society, okay? So that means that we wouldn't be able to use any of uh, what are considered modern fabrics, right? Because well, you'd I be mean, able to tell the difference between woven cotton and, you know, a cotton nylon blend. Anybody who weaves back in that day oh, is no, going to feel that material and go, there's something wrong about this. They're going to say they're going to say yours is so much nicer. You're wearing yeah. these drab brown things. You're saying we're too poor, but everything about your clothing is actually superior to any of the textiles that they have available to themselves. Well, as I said, like somebody who's into textiles, like Habibi, for example, she's a textile artist. Oh no, she'd be able to tell between cotton and a cotton nylon blend. Somebody who was well versed in that would be able to pick that out right away. I would think that almost any woman in a society would be able to do that. Yeah, due to gender roles, yes, we'll we'll say that. Yeah. Now, because I'm a, I, I have a yen for archaeology and almost qualified for for a degree in archaeology. There's also textile manufacturing differences, so it's all cotton. We can get a much tighter weave than 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 some of the than some some looms now. Having said that, they have found woven woven linen clothing in in the various Egyptian temples, which basically they must have spent a month making because they are just as finely woven as anything we can make today on linen. So yeah, so so you have to be careful. So yeah, you may want to actually have some hand woven clothing of cotton and wool, you know, just so you have the. Uh, uh, just so you have the collection there, just in case, so you can actually go for a crudely wo- woven cotton, you know, cotton shirt with a uh, wool with a wool jacket. Yeah, it will itch like crazy, but yeah, there you go. Uh, and the most important thing is, and and Bruce, don't don't need any of this, but it's also underwear. Underwear was invented. The Romans invented a form of underwear, but there was always some kind of undergarment in most of these clothing. People, you know, didn't want you know certain things rubbing on their good clothing. <sighs> so, yeah, that's a whole study. There's, in fact, people who dedicate their life to learning about underwear. <laughs> Why am I reminded of the scene from Dogma? Dude, it's going to be rubbing inside your armor. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, having a complete set of proper clothing might require you to have some sort of generic trade good of some sort. And that that's... If you're talking a primitive society, okay, what do you mean by primitive? If you're talking hunter-gatherers, then you just need hides. If you're talking, I would say, early agriculture, early uh, before they actually have a good system of writing, yeah, you can get by with some woven things, crudely woven things, mostly leathers and stuff like that. Uh, once you get into the better stuff, then you can actually yeah, check up check up your reenactors. They'll probably make you something. You know, and there are reenactors for all sorts of things. You can find people, and they wear authentic, or at least authentic, so they can make it stuff. So, yeah, I, I had a friend who was into World War One reenactment. He had period accurate gear down to how the clothing was made. So, yeah, you can find people who, if you if you need to have a, a perfect toga for walking around a Roman villa, you will get the perfect toga for walking around that Roman villa that will be exactly the way it's supposed to be made. That's not a, that's not a problem. We have people that crazy. They'll do it, make it for you, probably for a price. But then again, you work for the, you work for Frit, you work for Unita, and therefore don't worry about they'll pay for it, maybe. Mm-hmm. 
Well, now, said, that, uh, that is something that you would have with you going through the portal. Every time you go through that portal, it's always going to be good to have some type of tradable good or maybe a little bit of precious metal or something and just say, okay, we have this. And with that, you can get what would what we would call coin of the realm. Okay, we've got, you know, maybe a, a small bag of gold nuggets. You find where the nearest bank is and said, yeah, we want to trade this in. We found this, you know, out in the mountains, you know, three miles from here. You get coin of the realm, you can buy, you fit in. Depending on the society, actually a bag of gold nuggets would make you a noble. In some societies. Well, if you do that, then you do that. Then you get the really good clothing to blend in with. I'm just saying, most of these teams, if they were to adopt the the Federation Prime Directive and you're doing this with Fringeworthy, yeah, I would say each they'll and every time. The, they'll look for the quickest way they can to blend in. You would have to do that. Carry some of that each time you go through the portal. Just have like that, that reserve. Oh, yeah. Actually, some some things you can always trade for, if especially if you've done your homework first, is local, like local meat, properly you know salted and dried. That always sells for for some for coin. Meat's always always a luxury until we actually get really good animal husbandry. husbandry. So yeah, you show up and, and, re- and refrigeration, John. And refrigeration, yeah. So yeah, salted dried meat will always give you some coin and get you and be appropriate for people who appear to be wanderers, you know, traveling around in the wilderness. All right. So general clothing, you're saying, you know, it can be either mocked up uh, effectively or bought locally or something like that. Okay. So how about shoes? Because historically shoes suck. Yes. In some cases, it's just leather wrapped around the foot. Some cases it's wood and you stick your foot into the sand and you walk on until it wears out. In some cases it's leather and wood and, and they discovered left and right feet about the 12th century, I think. <laughs> Uh, Josie, you're going to be an explorer, you know, going into a world, all right? And, and you're expected to be there for an extended period of time. What are you going to wear on your feet? I would say um, depending. It, it, it does depend on the general, what people generally wear and... Well, are you going to wear what they wear, or are you going to tr- are you going to do your best to you know create something, mock up something that hides a real shoe? No, that that wouldn't be a good idea. Which I gave you a choice. The the the, the mock up. The I don't second s- one, yeah. I don't see that as being a good idea because one slip. And someone will see something off. Yeah, but if your feet are messed up from walking in really bad shoes, uh, you're not going to be able to do your job. I, I think what he's getting at is like after okay, a while, after you're while, if, being in, cra- in relatively crappy footwear. Yeah. Basically, if you're stationed there for a while to get information or something like that. I see what you're getting at. Wear it just long enough to fit in and when you're back in wherever you're residing, take them off and go, Yeah. Oh thank God I could put real shoes on. Yeah. Yeah, I would Yeah, it's more of a do the ones you're supposed to wear out in public when you're dealing with the people. The natives. Yeah. People. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And when you get back to base where, camp, base yeah, camp yeah. or wherever, then you can get rid of that and put on your fluffy slippers with the Dr. Scholes in them. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, actually, you're, Trav, you just mentioned the thing I, I, I was I was hoping that Josie would mention, and that is, okay. is that at the very least, you could put an insert in your shoe into whatever footwear they gave you that actually gives support to your arch, you know, padding to your, to your, the, the bottom of your foot, whatever gives you something 
that you can you know that you can provide some support and comfort to the bottom of your foot. You know. Oh no, I'm seeing what you're getting at. I, is I, I see what you're getting at, but it's kind of hard to ask me about shoes. I generally don't wear any. Yeah. <laughs> and she sits here barefoot. No. Well, no, you have your sandals. And, of course, sandals, you can't do something like that. Sandals, you got to wear them as is. There's no sandals, way you can put any support. There's, there's nothing there. Now, if you're Victorian and you're wearing the ladies' proper shoe, which often were, at times, boots that were, like, calf high and laced up, yeah, you can slip an insole in there. Yeah. Get some ladies' uh, and yeah, that's rock. that's one of the places I myself would see. Okay, I'm going to break the you know you know I, I'm, I'm, this is this is one of the places where I'm going to insist on you know something that's that's you know more than the perhaps the tech. This should be well hidden, and even if they see it, make it out of something like leather or something. You know, not not like gel because that would be really obvious okay well i mean the only way they're gonna know is if they're rooting around in your boots and if you're wearing them all the time and you only take them off in the place where you're gonna be alone there's a 99.9 percent chance that they're gonna not gonna find anything unless they sit there look in your boot which i don't know why they would have a reason to look but if they do and they see that well yeah and they see this weird green thing at the bottom unless they're like the local quagmire all right, giggity giggity. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, who? No, I mean, who knows? So you you may go someplace, and they may say, "Hey, here we have a whole outfit for you. You got to take, you got to change, and it includes footwear. So that means you have to take, and then someone's going to be taking your clothing and putting it over somewhere, and maybe you know cleaning it up, and they're going to get it, you know, look inside your boot. And- well, I mean, if if you're going to be changing alone, then. It's like, you know, you can sit there and say, you can, are you going to stand here and watch me while I change? And they leave and you switch out the insole. No, yeah. actually, the answer would be yes, because that's what dressers did. And if you're if you're trying to deal with anything other than the lowest rang, uh, rungs of society, you're probably going to be in a situation where there's somebody there helping you do something. Uh, and yes, they're going to they're going to expect you to change in front of you, in front of them. If you go into those Roman baths, believe me, there's no problem. Yeah. No private, um, you know, dressing rooms in there. Okay. Now you did bring up a good portion, and maybe uh, Josie uh, Pixie could actually pass for it because she goes barefoot a lot. Uh, that is calluses on your feet because in some places, if you are really that poor, you don't got shoes. You're walking around, and you should have calluses on your feet, uh, about as tough as shoe leather. At that point. And yeah, if you're all lovely, lovely, the old, uh, from New York City, you know, um, yeah, you ain't got calluses on your feet. Your, your toe, your toes are tender. So that's, uh, would be a giveaway right there because you'd have baby feet from there. Well, I don't know. I mean, there, remember, there's a lot of walking in mass transit in New York City. Most people in New York City want to drive. It's not the same as putting flesh to pavement. Well, flesh no. Flesh to ground. Trust me in that. Do, yes, you would want to do that anyways because that's how you get parasites. Or to gravel driveway. Oh, that's, that's how you get infections and things like that. Is, yeah, is by walking around without any footwear. Yeah, but the, yeah, but you're right. They do. It, you know, there are examples of ancient footwear, and most cases they usually have a hard leather sole. In many cases, even the moccasins that uh, they were made of Americans wore had a hard leather sole. Yeah, yeah. So. Of course, they all made that you can put one on either foot and didn't make a difference. Like I said, they didn't really discover left and right feet. Uh, well, at least Europeans didn't. I'm looking at an example of some Egyptian reed shoes or reed sandals that actually are designed for left and right feet. So it's something I think it was Europeans. It was easier to make something that was pointed in uh, leather than it was to actually make when it points one way and points the other way. You know, So it really depends on the culture. Uh, and there's some sandals that actually are made of wood. I'm looking at one sandal that looks like it dates from, oh, 5th century BC that has a quarter inch wood, wood base. It's a quarter, quarter inch of wood. So it, it, it really varies. And, you know, knowing and, uh, yeah, it's going to be hard to get, you know, get the boots right. And your feet may still not have the right amount of calluses on it. You may not also not have the right amount of sunburn either. Well, yeah, if it's an agrarian society, you're going to have suntan skin because you're out in the fields all day. 
If you yeah. come in looking pale as a ghost, you're going to stand out. Right. So you might need to get like, so how would you deal with that? Would you go into like uh, one of those tanning salons or would you get a spray tan? Oh, you mean a fake and bake? That first one they called a fake and bake? Yeah. Right. Um, maybe, maybe the spray tan. Okay. And would you, and would you wear uh, sunscreen? Would that be something that you'd bring with you and try to explain away? No. Uh. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be something that'd be easy to explain. Not why. Well, if those, if you're dealing with a society it, like they're out in the in the fields and that, and they look like that, they don't have sunscreen. On. They probably don't have sunscreen on. Well, I know that none of them do, but I'm saying is that is that something that you would wear because you know you're not used to being out in the sun for you know eight, 16 out of at 24 hours a day. Oh yeah, there are agrar- yeah, she gave me this look. No, there are agrarian societies. You were up well, from sun up to sundown and then sun. Uh, it's it's just I mean, uh, there are Sorry, all of this is getting Way more complicated than I ever wanted to do. <laughs> I'm more inclined to just go, nope, I'm done. Give me something that makes sense. Well, no, no, I understand what he's trying to say here, Josie. I is understand that understand what he's trying? If to you're say. rubbing the, I mean, you'd want to rub it on before you go out and deal with these people. I mean, if you're sitting around the field and all of a sudden, ah, I think I'll put on my SPF 45. They're going to be looking at you like, what are you doing? Well, now we we talk about sunscreen. You could hide it. Egyptians use uh, powdered rice as a way to take care of their sun, for sun protection. So you just need to make a, a a proper you know sunscreen that looks like powdered like the powdered rice. Only it's proper sunscreen, you know SPF thirty or whatever. Uh, the Greeks use olive oil. Um, Native Americans use uh, uh, deer fat and. Uh, um, uh, tree sap to make a, to make something. Ooh, oh, I am just like that. That yeah, last one. Oh, all right. Oh, and the, oh, that, that that does bring a question because looking at the Egyptians, you can understand some cultures were. Um, uh, it was not uncommon for people to walk around with bits hanging out. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know. How you know if you go to a culture where where everyone where no one wears a top, how comfortable will, will you be in that culture? How sunburned will you be? Oh yeah, <laughs> in those places that have never seen the sun. Yeah, and so you got the <laughs> farmers tan going, and they're looking at you like, "What is wrong with your skin?" Well, yeah. that's why I said you'd probably want to go and get like some kind of an overall tan or something, you know? Yeah, either tan ears, tan liquids, or even you know, it was truck. There's pills, too. I would think that in that type of situation, again, everything that you've said so far is assuming you know what you're going into. Well, that like was what John done, was talking about. He was saying... You've done all the initial stuff, and, and right. you just you know what you're going into. Yeah. So in that type of situation, why wouldn't you just do... You could just do this spray tan or whatever. Or even just makeup. Or or that. Yeah. Although, depending on how long you're out in the sun, yeah. makeup runs. Yeah. I think the melanin pills, are, or even just melanin pills, will eventually dye your skin um, with melanin, which actually is natural sun sun's protection. You just, you yeah. know, normally you just have to burn cells, make them produce it. Um Right. I mean, the guy, uh, the the book Black Like Me was all about a guy who took melanin pills to appear to be black and to see what happened when he was in their culture yeah. and how the whites treated him. So, you know, I mean, it does work and it and it does have some long term negative effects. But we, you know, we don't need to, to talk about that here. No, uh, and we're fringeworthy. It gets fixed anyway. Maybe, maybe. But the point still is, is, is that I, I'm saying that even if you didn't know anything about uh, a culture where you're going to go into, you might still make, take these kinds of steps before you went, like, you know, making sure you had a slight tan, making sure that you are uh, taking some kind of a clear sunscreen that would, that would, you could put on if you needed to having some kind of a, um, 
uh, insert that you could put into a shoe that will allow you to deal with um, just bad footwear. Okay. Another thing that I think would be pretty much a, a you know, you know, you got to do it. DEET. Okay. Which is a very complicated uh, uh, chemical name for um, something that basically keeps bugs off of you because yeah, that, cool. that protects you from malaria, from oh. yellow fever, from any oh. number of diseases that come from insects that will be re- hopefully, hopefully, of course, assuming a near, you know, near earth analog will be repelled by this. Yeah. Which means your bedding is home to a bunch of friends that sleep that sleep in the little in the in the inn or the or the or the person's house you you're not sleeping by yourself no matter how many yeah <laughs> now there is another possibility which i discovered i mentioned this on another podcast uh with my dog and that is is that the collar and this is a high tech device okay so and you know, you might be able to make it look like a necklace or something but um the um uh, the electrosonic um, uh, device that my dog wears around its neck to make the uh, uh, the automatic door dog door go up and down. It seems to keep mosquitoes. Uh, I mean uh, fleas off of him. Oh yeah, I've heard of those. The electronic flea collars. Oh yeah, I've heard yeah. of those for years. But it, yeah, yeah, and I'm saying I thought it was baloney until I got this thing for him, and all of a sudden we ha- we stopped having to get the stuff to put on the back of the dog's neck to get rid of fleas. He didn't have fleas anymore. None of my animals have fleas, you know, except for the cat. But the cat never, you know, that that's that's herd immunity. But I'm saying all the dogs we've ever had, the fleas just disappeared after a while because they had these collars on. So there might be a really good, it might be a good idea to wear some one of these things just to, you know, because they could keep the fleas off of you and yeah. you drive the fleas out of your wouldn't drive them out of your bedding, but it would certainly drive them out of your normal clothing as you wore them. Because they yeah. wouldn't want it, they'd jump off of you and wouldn't jump back on. It'd be worth a research program to make it such that you could hide it in like a leather band or something, something that looks very simple, not worth stealing. Uh, yeah, you know, and that you just wear around your neck, and it's all in it's in the leather band. Leather band. Uh, you may have to leave it out in the sun to have it charge back up again, but something that would, uh, hey, give you protection at least at night, especially at night, because that's when you're going to have to worry about the most. Uh, because that's when the critters come out of the of the straw bedding or whatever kind of bedding you're sleeping on, and they want to have a snack, and you're there. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if DEET would help against chiggers or, or uh, um, whatever might. Uh, I mean, what's the tick? Yeah, bed bugs. Yeah, yeah I don't know if I don't know if DEET would help against that. But anyways, yeah, I mean, t- I, because again, disease. I mean, they carry lots of diseases, and uh, in, in in addition to being basically very annoying to a person. Uh, so you you want uh, unless you're planning on staying very close to the portal, so you can jump back through a lot yeah. and get rid of diseases. You're, you know, you're, you're going to need to think about your long-term health and how you're going to keep it going. I mean, at, at, in gameplay means if the person, I would say as a GM, I would say once a month I make everyone have make either a constitution or a vigor roll just to see have you come down with something. Just because, you know, and you know if you fail, okay, okay, don't worry about it right now, but maybe in a couple of days you may be feeling poorly. You know, you know, and now go look up some some sort of uh, obnoxious disease that may not be lethal, but will be obnoxious, <laughs> to inflict on them. <laughs> well, I mean, the the I mean, I'm I'm talking about violations of the so-called you know prime directive in the sense that you are breaking, you know, with with the 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 way other people do things, and you are creating situations where things could be discovered. You know, and, I, and I'm trying, you know, and I'm trying to see how far can we push this. I mean, at what point do you have so many exceptions that it now it now becomes obvious that you're some weird person who doesn't fit in anywhere? Well, the the biggest one, of course, is you don't look like you're from around here. Well, there's nothing we can do about that, John. Yeah, but that typically can get you. I mean, basically, if you're in if you're in a place where there's Native Americans pre-contact. And you have two Nigerians, a person from China, and a person from, and someone from uh, North America. You don't look like you're from around here. 
So you're saying that that that, that your group should be eth- eth- ethnically I can't say the word right. Um, yeah, it, it should be one ethnicity, so that you don't. You, at least you look like you're. You know, the, all those people. You know, belong together. Yeah, that's a hard one. To, that's a hard one to sell too. It would be the. Yeah. It would. It would help fit in. It, yeah, it I would, I would help. Say. I mean, if and if the people look similar enough that they could be from the same general area, if and when it is eventually found out that uh, you don't look like you're from around here, you can kind of give an explanation. Oh, we're from this area. Yeah. And it's more or less easily overlooked. Yeah. Now, I'm saying, I said pre-contact North America or South America, but there's a good, there's plenty of evidence that you wouldn't sound out too much in Europe or Africa or Middle East or various places. Because, yeah, you can find Africans, African Africans everywhere. You can find Europeans just about everywhere. Uh, once we learn how to travel, we traveled. People just traveled so that so it's only in places where you would be the exception rather than the the unusual occurrence, but not that unusual. You know, I mean, there yeah, there were def there and yes, there were there were African knights in Europe during the fifth during like the thirteenth and fourteenth century. You know, it, it it's it was a thing, but uh, yeah, I'd say I'd say. Uh, this is where a case where this is comes time for a side mission. Let's go find that ter- those remember those Termelon ruins we found. Remember that comb we found makes your hair different colors. I wonder if there's some sort of the thing that will change my skin color, which takes care of the problem of tanning. Takes care of the problems of not looking at least at least skin color wise, uh, matching the same skin tones or anyone else. Yeah, for your team. How about all the other teams? Well. This is where a case where it's okay. Is this useful for you, just your team, or is this something every team? You know, yeah, that falls into the case of we found something neat and we're going to hang on to it, and you need is not going to take it away from us, are they? Yeah, yeah, right. If they don't if they don't know about it, they can't. Right. <laughs> what they don't know won't hurt you. And there's plenty of places to hide it when you before you come back. Yeah. Oh yeah. How about personal protection? Are we just going to? Nor plants, yeah, nor plants. <laughs> oh, it's a thing. It's a little thing you put in your arm. It basically keeps you from well, okay, from having kids. That's one kind. I was oh, I wasn't talking about. <laughs> I wasn't that. talking about a, a prophylactic. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, that would be great. Uh, the, uh, but why? Why do you care? Why is that an important thing? I mean, why is that? Why is that involved in the prime directive? I mean, you know, talking about the most natural, most basic thing that you can do is have kids. I can't imagine that that would be a a problem with the prime directive. I'm reminded of the line in Austin Powers where Elizabeth Hurley's like, "But Austin, don't you use protection?" Yeah, baby, I've got a nine millimeter with me at all times. Yeah. I imagine actually, you know, uh, this is where uh, chatting up a Chinese apothecary. Uh, okay, we're going to be someplace where we can't, you know, have proper medicine other than a few things we can hide in a couple, you know, you know, pouches or something like that. What can we, you know, what's available? And none of this, you know, woogie woogie, you know, wushu stuff. Uh, let's let's really insult the, the culture here, Sir John. Oh, I, I have people who actually would say that. I have people who would actually would say that, and know. that's and, and that makes it okay. No, yeah, but, you know, you're but, not you're not helping you pay, Sir John. <laughs> there are a lot of herbal medicines there that, that are effective, but you just gotta watch out for the side effects. Like, yeah, you can cure your headache with willow bark. You also can poison yourself in the process, making the willow bark tea. Oh. oh. All those herbal medications are, are are dangerous in that sense. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of it is, yeah. You you might have to become the local alchemist just so you can make medicines. You won't so you can cure yourself of various various diseases that can't be cured by medicine. Uh, things viral viral infections or bacterial infections. That's a different thing. Um, 
I don't know. Would you would you end up to see would teaching them proper proper hygiene violate the prime directive? I would think absolutely. Uh, yeah, yes. because if, if you're let's say they're still doing leeching and uh, bloodletting, and you bring in the concept of just well, why don't we sterilize this before we do that? And they're going to look at you like, wait a minute, hold it. You know, yeah, you're you're giving them advanced technology. That, that falls yeah. under the the interfering with their natural development. Yeah, how do you sterilize a uh, manure compress? Yeah. Or, you don't. <laughs> oh no! This is the thing I I I I come to realize. You know, we, because we you know it's infamous that the Romans all take baths. What you people tend to forget was that water never gets changed. Oh, so it's like human stew. Gotcha. Like a hot tub at on. Yeah. Now some of them did have running water going through there. There were a few. Some of them bigger baths actually would change the water because it got smelly after a while. But yeah, for the most part, a lot of baths. Yeah, you were swinging what the last guy brought in. And th- that's why you always bring a slave, so you can toss them in to break the scum. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the idea of proper hygiene. I, the thing is, we're, we, we are modern people. Uh, and I'm going to assume that most people here take baths on a regular basis and know about hygiene and know about things. It, it's going to happen. You're not going. You're not going to let them put the, the 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 manure compress on a wound. You're going to insist on clean bandages, and you're going to insist on various. You know, if you got alcohol, clean it with alcohol first. And then we will put some clean bandages on, and then we just let it, hope it, it, it cures up. I'm not going to let you put any of that stuff on it. Oh no! If you're, yeah, you imagine what happens if the people that do manure. What? Okay, Bruce, just real quick. What culture did manure compresses? Pretty much the entire European culture in the 12th century. Certainly, okay. uh, yeah, and also all the way up to England. Yeah. Okay. It was so middle age, middle ages, fine. Yeah. Uh huh. It was considered to be the best. You know, it, it drew out the bad humors. Yeah. Because oh, they I'm- they didn't believe in disease, so there was so the body was uh, was basically considered to be out of balance, and they needed to draw the bad humors out of the body, and the manure was good for that. You do realize what happened, what would happen if you're there doing that manure compress thing and you grab a bottle of wine and tell them, I need to clean this wound with that wine. They will run you through with a sword for wasting good wine. Yep. You will be looking at the business end of, you know, if you're in Italy, a fencing foil, you know, yeah. <laughs> as they try to skip you. What are you yeah. doing wasting wine? I'm cleaning the wound. Get away from me. Yeah. I, I, you're probably also insulting the uh, medicine man. Well, yeah. Whoever else is there trying to help you out. You're insulting his skills. Right, exactly. Yeah. But still, just, well, I'm just saying that, you know, wine, it was only used for one thing, getting drunk. They had no idea of the concept of alcohol and it could be sterile and all this. No. So if you sit there and grab a bottle of wine and start pouring on a wound, they're going to be looking at you like you're absolutely insane and are looking to, well, what's the term? Finding out how your tooth enamel handles stomach acid, you know, as they want to knock your teeth down your throat. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 took, it took a lot of time just to teach surgeons to wash their hands between patients. And we're talking, this was the turn of the, turn of the 19th century. Oh, yeah. Sterilization and all that stuff didn't happen until around the time of the Civil War. Yeah. Oh, no. It, it really didn't catch on until like World War I. Oh, oh, oh. Well, it, it varied. Okay, it was there. It was there. They were using boric acid and things like that to sterilize. They knew about germ theory in the Civil War. Okay. Yeah. But, but you know, a lot of times they simply just didn't have the resources to apply it, you know, in those, those tents filled with people with broken limbs, you know, shattered bodies. Yeah, and I, I have to recount the story that, you know, there, you know, there was uh, pr- Southern uh, Confederate prisoner of wars in w- this one Union hospital didn't get any of the good medicine, uh, but their ward didn't smell very bad. You go to the Union ward, you could smell decay and death and people with you know uh, rotting limbs and so forth. You go to the Southern one, it's they're doing fine. It turned out they were using maggots to eat the dead flesh, and the maggots won't touch living flesh. So, the, you know, basically they were using maggots as a way to keep the wounds clean and the flesh could regrow back. 
Right. Well, they found out that they're uh, we're doing that today. That there are some medical places. It's like, yeah, we got this dead flesh. Just put some maggots on it. Yeah, don't tell the patient. Have them knocked out and just have them do it. And yeah, yeah, and and those are medical magnet. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, medical maggots. Yeah, they 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 breed them specifically for that purpose. Along with medical leeches, because leeches turn out to be great for finger finger transplants or reattaching fingers. You put a leech in the finger, it helps actually. Improve the blood flow because the leeches are actually. This thing I did not realize that they actually excrete um, uh, anticoagulants. Yeah, not, not but antibiotics. They actually have natural antibiotics to keep make sure the wound doesn't fester because they may want to come back from their meal. Okay, I heard of anticoagulants. You know, it so the, it, they don't bleed too much. I wasn't aware of the antibiotic. Yeah, they, they well, okay. They, yeah, no anticoagulants. They bleed like a stuck pig, but the anti the anti they have the anti no antibacterial. They have the antibacterial action because one, they don't want to eat that stuff either, so they want to kill it off. So they actually, it's sort of like uh, their 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 spit is is also kills off bacteria. <laughs> they just want blood. They don't want to eat anything else in that blood. John, John, it has nothing to do with what they want. Yeah, well. Okay. It. It, it, it just happens that if these things are present, then they then they they get more nutrition. Yeah, I'm not I'm not putting any conscious will. They prosper better. Yeah, yeah. Nature yeah. doesn't nature doesn't actually have a plan. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's easier to. I'm doing explaining again. Sorry. I know. <laughs> but anyway. Okay, so I mean, I mentioned a couple of things that I thought were basically, you know, deal breakers. I'm not going to be an explorer unless I've got these things. Okay, is there anything else that you guys feel that, regardless of the culture, primitive or whatever, you'd have to have on you in order to go and be an explorer? Toilet paper. Oh, geez, yes. <laughs> of yes. some wow. sort. Of some sort. <laughs> or or. Or the Roman equivalent, the sponge on a stick. But, you know. You know, you, you can just, you know, uh, just basically pour water on the area and, and you know, and, and rub it clean. You know that. I just meant, yeah, the sponge on the stick. Then you just wash the sponge. Well, that, that's, that's actually still leaving something that has to be cleaned. If you just pour water, if you just pour water against the basically the base of your spine, it runs down through that natural, uh, you know, that, that natural uh, corridor that exists, you know, on your rump, okay, and puts it right where you need it. <laughs> I actually don't believe I have to say this, but TMI, Bruce, TMI. Yeah, well, okay, okay, but I'm just saying, you're you're suggesting all these other things that are very complicated, you know? <laughs> well, we're trying to figure out things. If we were an explorer, okay, these are must-haves. I'm not going into this culture unless I have this. I don't know, maybe mouthwash? Just to, you know, I don't know, relative, relative amounts of hygiene. Just Actually, um, no, I wouldn't bring iodine pills, but, geez, I'd really want to boil the water. Yeah, you can boil the water. I don't think that's a problem. Or invent beer. Or mead. Yeah, or other, other, other beverages, yes. other because they do involve boiling the water in the process. So, yeah. well, I'm going to be the one stomping your guys' foots on this. No. What? Beer? He's like or invent beer. I'm like, "No." Well, it would depend on the level of technology. Yeah. Some some of these cultures may already have alcoholic beverages. Josie, they had beer in ancient Egypt, and that was like... I think almost all cultures have alcoholic beverages of some kind. Yeah, they, they learn a fermentation of in one way or another. Yeah, and some of the ways they make it, you don't want to drink it afterwards. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, Anthony Bourdain, you know, how he's traveling around the world. There's this one, I think it was either Central or South American culture. Now, yeah, you're going to... Chicha. It's made by taking cornmeal, chewing it, and spinning in the pot. Bingo, I think that's the one they're referring to. Yeah, you got all these old women. Hey, John, TMI. <laughs> hey, Bax, a son of a gun, ain't it, Bruce? Uh, <laughs> I'm just on. saying, uh, you know, oh, oh, pot, thou art black. <laughs> yeah. Guess what? You're both black, yeah. Um, so, well, no, they had this where these old women are sitting there chewing on this stuff, and it looked like fruit. I don't know. It may have been mashed up cornmeal. 
and they're all spitting it back into this massive vat that they're all sitting around. And Bourdain just took a glass of it, took a sip, and it got him into, he became part of their tribe. But yeah, fermentation, no. A lot of culture, like I told Josie just now, beer was an ancient Egypt thing. So I mean. Oh, Mesopotamia. Basically, we can trace it back to, in fact, the very first grains that were grown in large quantities were barley. And barley's crap for anything other than beer. Now, hey, now, my grandmother used to make a great beef and barley soup, so don't knock it. Right, and I believe believe it's also an animal feed. Yeah. But, yeah, there's evidence that, you know, first off, we have genetic disposition to getting drunk. So that means we've had, you know, this is, we're we're talking going back millions of years in this. Dude, I'm Polish. Remember, there's the song, in heaven there is no beer, that's why we drink it here. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, they, we, we've been having some form of alcoholic beverage as soon as we figure out how to make those berries ferment in the sun. You know, it's, it's stuff like that. So yeah, beer, you know, it's been around. But, what I, but, they, but they do make, say, like, like Chitza. I mean, I want to drink it, but I may get myself a big clay pot, and then I make myself a sort of a um, still using clay pots. Boil it and let the goodness come rolling off and i drink that that's pure alcohol that comes off the the, the steam that the- oh oh no no, no. oh no. oh john yeah john i've had 96% alcohol drink it's called spiritus oh i i would definitely cut it with water but the alcohol would well kind of purify the water in the process well, yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying, if you're sitting there trying to get something that's darn near pure alcohol, dude, I've had spiritus. Habibi let me have a sip of it off of her flask a couple years ago. There was a spot in the back of my throat for a day. Oh, in this setup I'm talking about with clay pots, the best I could probably get is about 50%. You know, that's... So that's, still 100 proof. Yeah, still 100 proof, but, you know... but that, Dude, 100 proof rum, if you've had 100 proof rum, that stuff is not lightweight. <laughs> Some of us have more alcohol have more alcohol to- tolerance. I just had I had before this I had a martini and I figured the average content was about fifty six proof. Yeah, uh, okay. No, but but I wouldn't drink it all the time. I would definitely would cut it with water. I would definitely cut it with water. And if I can't boil the water, or if I can't boil enough water, I at least will cut, give it a good, good boil, then add alcohol to it to help you know purify it. Because I can't be walking around with iodine pills or straw. Okay, back to the podcast. Yes, back to the podcast. But anyway, yeah, yeah. But yeah, some way. To, but yeah, some way of purifying the water. I mean, maybe okay. So maybe I can't make alcohol. You know what they have a lot? A lot of cultures make? They make charcoal. You pour the water through charcoal. Yeah, you're yeah. right, yeah. Well, you can make, uh, I mean, there's a lot of things out on the web and such. You can make a decent water filter um, out of just commonly found things. I mean, and, and charcoal is one of the things that goes into any decent water filter. Oh, so, yeah, like Brita filter has a charcoal thing in it, Yeah. Right, but I'm just saying is if you were to just put together a water filter, you could use a bucket and uh, or you know, and which could be made out of wood, and then you just fill it with the various things like sand, charcoal, um, you know, some certain kinds of plants, just gravel, all those things, and that you know that would that doesn't doesn't purify your water a hundred percent, but at least it would get most of the baddies out of there, most of the big chunks out, yeah. <laughs> Right. Not so water. Yeah. Right. So obviously you'd want to carry with you some kind of a water container, a boda, uh, a water bottle, some kind that you could use to hold good water in it, so that you wouldn't necessarily have to drink. You don't. You don't want to drink out of a pool unless you have to. Yeah. Actually, I'm thinking of because I know of various ways with, that aren't too high tech that people actually have used to get water from, especially in dry climates. Right. Okay. That's great, John. But that isn't what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. But I'm talking about you know, thing. If if you know a way of okay, the thing is, it's it is it high tech or is it something that people are already doing? And that's where you fall into the situation we said again of using introducing new technology that may change things. If we can make it such that people can get water from the air, with is that something I can't do? Right, you can't do it unless, of course, they have they they understand about distilling. If they understand about distilling, then 
you know, uh, then yeah, you can say, oh, well, hey, you ever thought about doing this? They'd be like, oh, wow, that's amazing. You know, I mean, if, if they, if they, so. Or, or, or about dew or, you know, the, the morning dew that forms in the desert then evaporates away. I said, you know, you can probably capture that. And they'd be like, why? Why don't we, what, what, why don't we just drink mare's milk like we always do? Oh, yeah, there's that too. The whole thing about the, the prime directive is you're not supposed to be changing their culture in any way, which is to give them something better. They have to figure it out for themselves. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait, you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts. Cause we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me. Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.